This is day 62 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing 1 Kings chapters 15 through 19. Lord God, thank you for giving us this morning to refresh ourselves, to start the day right with putting you first and recognizing that this could change the trajectory of our whole day, Lord, that we don't have our armor on, that we don't have you close. And we may try to be leaving our homes or wherever we are and just trying to do things ourselves. Lord, we know that is foolish. We know that you are in control of all things and that you want to do good to us, but also discipline us. So, Lord God, that you may give us the wisdom to do what's right today. And give us the courage to speak boldly in your name. Please bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the eighteenth year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God like the heart of his father David. But for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, became king in his place. So in the twentieth year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Asa began to reign as king of Judah. He reigned forty-one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen mother, because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. He brought into the house of the Lord the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. Now there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold which were left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and delivered them into the hand of his servants. 
and King Asa sent him to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabramon, the son of Hezion, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Go, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa, and sent the commanders of his army against the cities of Israel, and conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel-Beth-Meacha, and all Chinneroth, besides all the land of Naphtali. When Baasha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah, and remained in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah, none was exempt. And they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had built. And King Asa built with them Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa and all his might and all that he did and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father. And Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. Then Baasha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Baasha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel were laying siege to Gibbethon. So Baasha killed him in the third year of Asa king of Judah, and reigned in his place. It came about as soon as he was king, he struck down all the household of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam any persons alive until he had destroyed them according to the will of the Lord, which he spoke to his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. And because of the sins of Jeroboam which he sinned, and which he made Israel sin, because of his provocation with which he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? There was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel at Tirzah, and reigned twenty-four years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he made Israel sin. Now the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying, Inasmuch as I exalted you from the dust and made you leader over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, 
and have made my people Israel sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. Behold, I will consume Baasha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Anyone of Baasha who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone of his who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens will eat. Now the rest of the acts of Baasha and what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Baasha slept with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah. And Elah, his son, became king in his place. Moreover, the word of the Lord through the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, also came against Baasha and his household, both because of the evil that which he did in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, in being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he struck it. In the twenty-sixth year of Asa king of Judah, Elah the son of Baasha became king over Israel at Tirzah, and reigned two years. His servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him. Now he was at Tirzah drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, who was over the household at Tirzah. Then Zimri went in and struck him, and put him to death in the twenty-seventh year of Asa king of Judah, and became king in his place. It came about when he became king, as soon as he sat on his throne, that he killed all the household of Baasha. He did not leave a single male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha through Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah his son, which they sinned and which they made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? In the twenty-seventh year of Asa king of Judah, Zimri reigned seven days at Tirzah. Now the people were camped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. The people who were camped heard it said, Zimri has conspired and has also struck down the king. Therefore all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Then Omri and all Israel with him went up from Gibbethon and besieged Tirzah. When Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house over him with fire and died because of his sons which he sinned, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he did, making Israel sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and his conspiracy which he carried out, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts, 
half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ganath, to make him king, and the other half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ganath. And Tibni died, and Omri became king. In the thirty-first year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned twelve years. He reigned six years at Tirzah. He bought the hill Samaria from Shemur for two talents of silver, and he built on the hill and named the city which he built Samaria, after the name of Shemur, the owner of the hill. Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, and acted more wickedly than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and in his sins which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri which he did, and his might which he showed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab, his son, became king in his place. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the thirty-eighth year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty-two years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel the Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, 
Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to, to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please, get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go, do as I have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first, and bring it out to me. And afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went, and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly 
For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave, and provided them with bread and water. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of our cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said, He is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you are saying, Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here? It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? That I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water? And now you are saying, Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He will then kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up, and place it on the wood, 
but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves, and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves, according to their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. 
So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked, and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's fist is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and arose, and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, And he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down their altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehulah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him, and took the pair of oxen, and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose, and followed Elijah, and ministered to him. We covered a lot of ground today, and there is so much that we could talk about here, but for the sake of time, I will keep it brief. But there is so much, there's sermons of worth of material in here that can be spoken about. So I highly encourage that you spend some more time reading the exploits of Elijah and the things that he did, because there's so much in there to get out. So we see that there have been some good kings, um, which we see King Asa of Judah being the best king, and he reigned for a long time. And we see during his reign that there were several changes of hands of kings in Israel. And a lot of them were conspiring to kill each other, and just people were just, it was a power struggle to have the throne. And just as the word of the Lord had said about Jeroboam, as well as some of these other men, that he completely wiped out their family line because of the sin that they have committed. And yet you also see God's grace in here because it says that he spared the nation of Israel and some of these sinful kings because of the sake of his father, 
David, right? We see that near the beginning of chapter 15, which is interesting here as well because it says that, uh, like for example, Abijam. It says that he reigned for three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. Now, why is it important to mention the mother's name? Usually it does that because that person, not always, but in this case, has some significance to it. Abishalom is another way of saying Absalom. This is Absalom's relative here. In, in fact, uh, this lady, Maaka, which in Second Chronicles her name is spelled Micaiah, she is the granddaughter of Absalom. So Absalom had a daughter whose name was Tamar, like his sister. And it said that Tamar married Uriel, and Uriel had Maaka. And so Maaka was the mother of Abijam. So there's some bloodline with King David still, but through Absalom. And it said that he was not devoted to the Lord, but he did not take away the kingdom from him for the sake of his father David. Now, in the last few weeks, we had talked about how our sins have an effect on the next generation, right? Where it says, in, God is very clear about that in Exodus chapter 20, especially when it comes to idolatry, right? talks about how you worship these idols, that the Lord is a jealous God, and he visits the iniquities of the Father on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So, I think that's where family curses come from, right? If we see it that our sins, our personal secret sins, could have an effect on our children, on our grandchildren, on our great-grandchildren, you have to think about somebody outside of yourself. And it and sometimes it's easier to justify your reasoning when somebody else is at stake, isn't it? Because when it's just, oh, you know, you can punish me, Lord, it's fine. Or you take the risk because the only person I'm hurting is myself. But when you put on at stake a family line, your kids and your grandkids after you, that changes things sometimes. Not always, but it ch it changes things. So you you have a higher chance of wanting to do good for the sake of others, so that others are not damaged by your decisions. And yet you also see the inverse here. You see that because of David's faithfulness to the Lord, that his faithfulness also passed down to his future generations, to the third and fourth generation. But Solomon was able to reign as king, and Solomon was overall a good king until the, near the end. And then his son, Rehoboam, right, did evil, but he didn't get wiped out. And now you have Abijam here, and he didn't get wiped out. So God is faithful to those who are faithful up to the third and fourth generation. But also sin can carry on to the third and fourth generation as well. Now, if you wanted to have this uh, almost like a bit of an obituary, if you will, for David here, because this is something how God evaluated David 
at the end of his life. And it, it, you wouldn't think it'd be here of all places, but it is here. Because it says here in verse 5, David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he had commanded him all the days of his life, except of, in the case of Uriah the Hittite. So in the economy of God, God is only holding his, the evil that David did being what he did to Uriah. He doesn't say what he did to Bathsheba. He didn't say what he did to the Philistines. He didn't say what he did with all the polygamy that he practiced. The only thing that God held against him as sin was what he did to Uriah and plotted his murder. We see that even though David was a lot of things, it's the matter of the heart, the pursuit of the heart. What was the overall overarching evaluation of David's life? He was a man after God's own heart. That was his, That is what ultimately defined him. That's how he was. He started his journey that way, and he ended his journey that way. And I hope we can say that for ourselves as well, that we can be that. We can be someone after God's own heart and not deviate from that path. Because we know David, we read David's story. We know David did a lot more sinful things than that. But God is a God of faithfulness, a God of love, and a God of forgiveness. And he forgave David all those things. And he didn't hold it against him. So God does the same thing with us, right? He doesn't hold things against us. And over at the we'll, we will make a lot of mistakes as human beings. There's no doubt of that. It's a promise. I will make that guarantee for you. You will make a lot of mistakes in your life. But at the end of the journey, is that going to be what defined you? I hope it's not. Because God will forgive all of your sins. But he also looks at the motivations of your heart. And if your heart is not pure toward him, he knows it. And he will make it known to you in time. So pursue the Lord. So we see that King Asa was the only good king in, of, of Judah at this time. He reigned a long time. He got rid of a lot of the bad stuff. Not everything, but he got a lot of the bad stuff removed. And then you see what happened to the nation of Israel, which very short reigns with all these kings until we come to King Ahab. Ahab, if you've heard of Ahab, but I don't like the way that sounds. It doesn't sound culturally correct for the area. Ahab is more correct. And these kings are getting progressively worse in Israel. And so now God is going to start the ministry of a certain man who is going to be a pivotal character even to the end of the Bible. And that man is Elijah. And Elijah did wondrous things in the days of the Lord. He was so angry at the sin in Israel, that he had enough faith to command that there would be no rain on the earth. And this is talked about in the New Testament as well. But he had trusted God, and he asked for the most ridiculous thing of all. And 
your average person would probably never think of, maybe I can ask God to not bring the rain down. But he did. He asked a ridiculous thing, and God obeyed it. Not that we'd command God, but he listened and he did it. And God took care of him, right? He stayed over by this brook, and he had birds bring him pieces of food. I mean, that's divine care right there. And it just makes you wonder, right? If God truly loves us, which he does, how come he lets some people starve? Hmm, that's a big one, right? Well, if we follow the biblical context, Jesus gave a Lord's Prayer for us to be modeling as our kind of prayer. And this is a daily prayer. Because what does it say in there? Give us this day our daily bread, right? So we understand that God is the God of provision. It, it all comes from him. And he's the God of multiplication. There is nothing that is too hard for him. He commanded ravens to bring food to Elijah. And if we trust God to provide for our needs, he will provide for your needs. He may not give you everything you ever want, which is fine, but he will preserve your life if you trust him to do it. And the Bible also says that you do not have because you do not ask in faith. So that's why so many unbelievers go hungry, because they don't trust the Lord to feed them. In my opinion, I think that's the case. The Bible seems to be pretty uh, consistent with that as well. But in this case, he trusted in the Lord, and the Lord gave him bread and meat from the mouth of birds. So then he goes to a place called Zarephath and sees a widow there. And the widow is gathering sticks so she could kill herself and her son because their poverty is so severe. Now, this is not a Jewish person. This is in the land of Sidon. So this is a Gentile woman. He blessed them by a little jar of flour, a little jar of oil. It would never run out as long as there was no rain. And that's amazing. That is an obvious miracle. But what I thought was even more interesting was this went on for some time. And during this time, Elijah stayed with this woman and her son. And then the son got sick and died. And she was saying, well, my son died because of my sin. You just came here to judge me. And he's like, let me see your son. So what's interesting as well is that he took this boy up to an upper room where he was living, put him on his own bed, and stretched over himself and prayed, and the Lord revived him. Yet another thing that no one else had done before. It was a, such a ridiculous thing to imagine that God could bring people back from the dead. But yet God did it, and it was easy for him. Because you see the creativity in Elijah here. He asked for ridiculous things. Remember what Joshua asked for. I need more daylight, Lord, so I can conquer your enemies. And he let the sun stay in the sky 24 more hours. I mean, how amazing is that? That God can defy all logic. He can defy all physics. 
and can defy all imagination for those who have faith in what he can do. But what I thought was a very interesting similarity was the same that Jesus did the same thing with the daughter, right? The daughter had died. She was in her bed in the upper room, and he revived her. It, was, it sounds like almost the same kind of scene, right? Except this time, he didn't. Jesus didn't have to plead, right? He didn't have to stretch himself all over the child three times. He simply just said it, get up. And that's the power that God has. That power, that word spoken there, are the same kind of words that caused things to be created. All things came into being through him, through words like that. By bringing that child back to life, he committed an act of creation that defied all logic and defied all science. This is the power of God. And believe it or not, this is the same power that's in you as the Holy Spirit indwells in you. The Holy Spirit is God, and his word is life. It's eternal life for you, but it's also life for all the universe. So the same power that said, let there be light, exists within you. How amazing is that? It's mind-blowing when you think about it. And what I thought was really interesting was the woman had unlimited supply of flour and oil for however long it was. We don't really know. It doesn't say until after many days in the third year. So we assume that it's been a while, a couple of years at least, that he had been with this woman and, and her son. And during that time, she knew that that jar of flour and that jar of oil was not going to run out. And that is a tremendous miracle. And yet, she didn't believe in the Lord. Because when the sun rose from the dead, now she says, now I know that you're a man of God. Oh, the first miracle wasn't enough for you? I mean, I, but you just see how stubborn people are, including ourselves. We can be so stubborn in the face of miracles and try to write it off as something or not be fully convinced. And that bothers me, especially in myself, how I can see these things and not be affected by it. I've seen many miracles in my life, and I've had many miracles done in my life, and yet I still sin, and yet I still deviate from God's plan sometimes, as we all do. How foolish we are at times, right? That stubborn, sinful nature in us is something that is so prevalent in our lives, and it goes rampant if we are not wearing our armor, wearing the armor of God. So I challenge you, do not let go of the Lord all the days of your life, and start your day right with him. Include him from the very beginning, framing your day around him, and you will have a much better time in resisting all these things. Then we see in chapter 18, we see, see this issue with Ahab and Obadiah, where they're trying to find 
grass and springs of water to their livestock won't die because there's been a huge famine in the land since Elijah told the sky not to produce rain, right? Now let's be clear, this is not the same Obadiah that wrote the prophet account of Obadiah, okay? This is not the same one. This is not the author of the Bible book. This person is a believer in the Lord, but chronologically this is not the same person. So he was afraid of Jezebel and Ahab and kept some prophets alive in a cave. And this is in the middle of a famine. Trying to feed a hundred people is not easy to do. And this is a very famous story that we know where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. And I like how he starts it off. He says in verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And you can also see, let's put this debate to rest, first off. But secondly, you get that essence of you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve the Lord and you cannot serve Baal at the same time. So you need to pick for yourself today. Who are you going to follow? And so he gives them the advantage. He let them have hundreds of prophets, 450. You guys go first. You're welcome to cut up the offering however you want, put your stones however you want, and then I need you to call to Baal and rain fire from heaven. And if he's God, he'll answer you, right? And so they're praying, they're dancing around, they're cutting themselves because, oh, he re he loves blood and the, the sacrifice you're giving to him as a priest. Baal loves that. And then you see Elijah mocking them. Well, you need to call out, you need to be louder. He's only a god. You need to be louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's he's occupied. Maybe he's busy. Or when it says in my translation, gone aside, in other translations, like he's relieving himself. He's, he's using the restroom. Or he's on a journey. Right? Maybe he's his office is empty right now. He's leaving a message at the beep. Right? Maybe he's asleep and he just needs to be woken up. And they just keep trying and trying and trying and trying and wouldn't you know it, no answer came. And then Elijah did ridiculous things to his offering, dousing it in water to where there's no way a fire could kindle on that wood. There's no way a fire can kindle on that animal, nothing. It's not physically possible. And so he calls the Lord down to bring fire. And for his sake, for his glory. That's why he said, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back again. Again, God is sovereign over the heart. He is wanting them to follow him. And sometimes he gives us a push in that direction. He acts first to bring us back into faith. And that's exactly what they did. He turned his heart toward them. He rained fire, but this wasn't just any normal fire. Because it burned up the water. The water was completely dried up. It destroyed the wood. It even ate the stones. 
and it ate even the dust. It disintegrated everything. It consumed things that fire cannot consume. That's how powerful God was in that moment to show that this is not normal fire. This is the fire of God. And then Elijah did what was proper, and he killed all these false prophets. And then after going to see if there was a cloud in the sky, it finally started to rain. And then you see something really crazy, too. He told Ahab, you need to get riding because it's going to start raining and you're going to get stuck. But then it says at the very end of chapter 18, verse 46, Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he outran Ahab. And it says Ahab was in a chariot. He was given super speed, and he outran a chariot. How wild is that? Now let's look at chapter 19. And this is interesting because we saw a marvelous thing happen. Elijah had a tremendous victory over sin and over idols and over these evil people. And he demonstrated the power of God. Fire fell from heaven against all odds. He girded his loins and ran with super speed. And then we see just a couple of verses later that because Ahab and Jezebel are out to kill him, then he gets afraid. What happened, Elijah? At first he was on fire for God, and now he's not. So he ran for his life. He ran all the way to Beersheba, at the very edge of Judah. And then he says, It's enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And then God shows his mercy by, I'm not done with you yet. I even brought an angel to make some food for you and feed you with that. And this apparently was some really super food. Because the angel of the Lord said, Arise, eat, because this journey is too great for you. So God takes, takes care of him, right? But it says that he rose and ate and drank, and with the strength of that food, he went 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. He was able to move at a pace that no one else would be able to keep up with, so that no one could catch him, so that no one would be able to come from King Ahab or Queen Jezebel and strike him down as they had promised. So you see God thwarting the plans of evil here and taking care of him in such a supernatural way. Well, you would think that this would give Elijah the encouragement he needed, right? He, that God's not done with you yet. You did amazing things, you're afraid for your life, and then you want the Lord to take your life. Where are you, Elijah? You're kind of all over the place right now. But why does he say he wants his life preserved? And he tells the Lord because he's been zealous for his house, and Israel has forsaken the Lord, and that he's the last prophet. So he wants the Lord to take his life, but he doesn't want them to take his life. And we see that he went to some cave, and he lodged there, and the Lord of the Lord came to him, whispering it to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Why did you run 40 days away? Did you not have faith that I could take care of you? And besides, you're not the last prophet, Elijah. I have 
7,000 people in Israel that have not bowed before Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 7,000 prophets. 7,000 godly people. You're not the last one. And then this is a very interesting story, where we see him go onto the mountain, which Horeb is also another name for Sinai. So he went to Mount Sinai, where we know that Moses was. And as he was there, the glory of the Lord passed by. And there was all these amazing things that went on. Great and strong winds, breaking rocks apart, winds that created earthquakes, and then earthquakes created fire, and then, then a gentle blowing. And all those tremendous things where there was so much power in them, God wasn't in that. As is to show that not everything in life is God's activity. He allows, sometimes he allows things to happen. Sometimes he allows things to take its course. He doesn't take his hand off the wheel, so to speak. But he may not be actively working in that situation. He may allow things to go on, and he produces the results. And that's what he's trying to show to Elijah is that, hey, you know, don't worry about all this big stuff. I'm not even a part of that. But you see a gentle blowing, or maybe in your translation, a still, small voice whispering to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Haven't you seen what I've done for you already? Haven't you had so much victory when you have been obedient to me? You think I'm going to stop now? Do you think I'm going to give up on you at some point? And let that be an encouragement to us too. God never gives up on us. God never decides, you know what? I'm tired of you. I'm just going to discard you. He never does that. God is faithful to the very end. We're not, but he is. That should comfort us. God's never going to give up on you. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to forsake you. He's not going to stop loving you. Ever. Doesn't matter how bad you are. He can't love you any more. He can't love you any less. That should be the most excellent of comforts. So sometimes we find ourselves in a rock and a hard place, right? Somewhere we put ourselves and in this case, this is the same thing. Elijah put himself in this situation because he was afraid for his life. And he fled instead of trusting God. And God was gracious and let him do it. But at the end of the day, that's why he asks a question to Elijah. You have gone way off track. Elijah, you have gone way off track from where I wanted you to be. What are you doing here? Haven't we had those moments where we are actively sinning or not trusting in the Lord for something? And then you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you, urging you, slapping you across the face, telling you, Ryan, what are you doing here? And you have to stop and say, I don't know, Lord, or I am so sorry. Please forgive me for my weakness. For, forgive me for my lack of trust. For my weakness of faith. Bring me back, Lord. Bring me back. And that's exactly what he did to Elijah. He sent Elijah somewhere else. He commissioned him. Go on your way. 
and do what I want you to do. And in the same way, we that's what our command is too. Get out of that situation and get back on track. Get back on track with what you know you're supposed to be doing. And that's being obedient to the Lord. Then lastly, we're introduced to his successor, Elisha. And he drops everything and runs to Elijah and joins him. Now, Elisha is a very interesting individual we'll get to know here in 2 Kings. But he is the only person in the Bible who has, who is the closest to Jesus Christ when it comes to miracles. He performed more miracles than anyone else in the Bible except Christ. And you're going to see amazing things through Elisha that no one else had ever been able to do. I mean, we think Elijah's amazing already with what he's been able to do. We haven't seen anything yet until we see what Elisha can do, even after he's dead. So, we'll do that next time. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.